Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter number 19. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter number 19, and beginning at verse number 38. Amen. Again, we're so glad to see everybody in the house of the Lord on this beautiful Easter Sunday. Amen. And uh, just, I remember uh, as a kid, and I probably said this story many times, but I remember just as a little kid, on Easter Sunday, somehow I always seemed to wake up really early without an alarm. And I'm talking about five, six, seven years old. And I remember waking up and just sitting and looking out the window to watch the sun come up. And just thinking to myself, trying to replay in my little mind those moments as the sun was beginning to illuminate the earth and what his mother felt and the disciples felt. And for many years as a kid, all the way into my teen years, every Easter morning, just watching the sun rise and just thinking to myself, wow, he really did get up on this Easter morning. And he arose from the grave. Amen. And it's as real to me today as it was all those years ago that he is alive. Amen. Amen. John chapter number 19 beginning at verse number 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave it to him, uh, gave him leave. And he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought him a mixture of myrrh and aloes, a hundred pound weight. And they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Amen. This is that moment when the body of Christ was still on the cross, and they were wanting to do something with it. And they were hurting. And they decided that we're going to take him and we're going to put him in a grave. He didn't have a grave. They had to borrow a grave from Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea. And they placed him there, which is, um, shows God is very budget conscious in some things. Because he didn't buy a grave when he wasn't going to need it for three nights. Amen. I mean, why buy it, right? He said, I'll just borrow it for a few days. and. You're going to have it right back. Amen. And, um, and then we know he, we know the end of the story. We know that he rose from the grave. Amen. The word that I want to talk about is not just resurrection, but there's a very familiar word that, that's, that's quite often used in every facet, education, politics, family, social order. And we use the word relevant. And the word relevant, uh, relevant means having a significant and demonstrable bearing on the matter 
at hand. Let me say that again. Having a significant and demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand. The other definition is affording evidence, tending to prove or disprove the matter at issue or under discussion. And so this morning, with that word in mind and its definition, meaning it's a demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand, it is the evidence to prove or disprove an issue or matter under discussion. I want to preach to you this morning on a relevant resurrection, a relevant resurrection, because it's going to be bearing on the matter at hand that Jesus really is alive. Amen. Would you lift your hands to the Lord with me this morning, and would you pray and ask the Lord to help us? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the tremendous peace and victory that we feel in this house today. Lord, I thank you for everyone that has come on this Resurrection Sunday, and I pray that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, Lord, that you would work the miraculous in this house. Let there be healing in this place. Let there be deliverance in this place. Lord, but above all, let there be salvation and repentance in this house, and let there be somebody walk out of here in the resurrected life that you have called us into. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and let the church shout amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Look at somebody as you're seated and tell them this is a relevant resurrection. One day an old man, about 85 years of age, was sitting on a park bench crying and a passerby noticed the tears running down the old man's cheeks, and he stopped to see if he could be any help. And the young man said to the old man, I, I don't mean to intrude, he said, but is there anything I can do to relieve your distress? Are you sick? The old man replies, no, my doctor says I'm as healthy as a 30-year-old man. The young man asked him, do you need some money then? The old man replies, no, I have millions of dollars. The young man replies, well, is it your wife? Is, is something wrong at home? The 85-year-old man replied between sobs, no, everything is fine there. I have a big, beautiful house. I have two new cars. One is a Bentley. One is a Maybach. I have a driver, a butler at home. I have a swimming pool and a jacuzzi. I have an indoor Dry sauna and steam sauna. I have a wife. She's a superb cook, and she treats me like a king and loves me madly. The young man asked, quite confused, and then he says, well, then why are you crying? Why are you in such distress? Asked the young man, to which the old man replied, because I can't remember where I live. He was in distress. I wonder how many here this morning are in that same quandary. You're in a difficult situation in life simply because you have forgotten some things that you need to remember today. 
You really are loved. You really are cared for. It's really not all that bad. Sometimes we just forget the address where our blessings reside. I wonder how many of us are contemplating our lives and wondering why things are the way they are. Why has my life turned the way that it has? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why am I on this park bench, if you would, crying and sobbing about things that that I, I, I know they're there, but I just don't know where they are located. Amen. I want to tell you, you're in the right house this morning for God to reach down and reprogram the GPS of your life where you are wandering in the park, you are sobbing on the bench, if you would, like the old man, but God wants to bring you to a place this morning where he can remind you of his ever-reaching grace, his everlasting mercy, and his never-yielding love. (laughs) Hallelujah. This is Resurrection Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate that which was dead has been brought back to life. And it doesn't matter how long you may feel those things in your life have been dead. It may not, it does not matter how long you have been away from God. And it doesn't matter if you have ever really known him or not in the power of his resurrection. I've come to tell you it's Resurrection Sunday. And the same God that raised up Jesus from the grave It's the same God that is in this house this morning to bring resurrection and life to you today. Hallelujah. Everything, everything about Christianity hangs upon this one fact. Christianity does not hang upon the fact that you are in a building. It does not hang upon the fact, amen, of who you are or where you come from. It doesn't matter who your mama is or your daddy is. All that matters, the truth hangs upon this one thing, that Jesus Christ is alive and he is alive forevermore. Without the tomb, the cross is invalid. Without an empty tomb, there is nothing in the 33 years of the ministry of Jesus that matters. But because he's alive today, he validated all of that and he validates today. Amen. God is not confined to the limitations of man. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6, he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. You can't make an infinite God finite. And you can't make an eternal God temporal. You can't make the creator of the earth subject to geographical areas on the globe. You can't tell God that he can move in Nigeria but not in California. You can't tell God you can touch that family but not that person because God is not limited. He's never been limited. He will never be limited. He's never been subject, amen, to the confines of this world, amen, because all men, even religious men, have placed so many limitations on God that they don't leave much of a God to believe in. One famous theologian in the 1800s said, if you know all there is to know about your God, then your God is not big enough. I want you to know we serve a God without limitation. 
We serve a God without restriction. We serve a God that can do anything at any time, anywhere, to anybody that he wants to move on and touch. God, listen to me, church. God is not God because we give him permission to be God. God is God, period, and that settles the matter. He is still God. Whether I believe it or not, whether I receive it or not, whether I see it or not, he is still God. Too many people have forgotten this, and they've been swindled into believing, amen, that, that God is limited. They have an idea of a limited, a partial, or an inadequate God. And if you're trying to live your life for an inadequate God, may I this morning reintroduce to you the King of glory, the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, for he is not limited. He is not inadequate. He is not restricted. He is not bound. He is not confined. For the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. The same God that is in Brazil right now is the God that is in this house right now. And the same God that is in uh, Africa and in China is in this as a matter of fact the same God that is on Mars and Venus uh, amen and to the far flung spiral Nubian amen of the universe that same God is in this place right now because he is without limitation you cannot define him by space nor can you by time because the same God that existed a billion eons ago is the same God that is here and the same God that will be for eternity future. The God of your past is the God of your present is the God of your future and he's here right now. When faced with obstacles that would have beaten every other man, it didn't beat Jesus because he always proved to be a victor. Making something out of nothing was not a struggle for God. Jesus didn't have to run to Ace Hardware to find the parts. He could just create the parts. I remember his first miracle at a wedding at Cana when they ran out of wine. And the host is due to be greatly embarrassed by the fact that the governor is there. And there's very important people there. And now they are out of water and like any good mother, Mary notices the humiliation that is about to happen to her friend. And she summons for Jesus and the servants. Jesus responds to her. She just looked at him and said, we don't have any wine. She didn't make a request. Amen. Because I'm going to tell you something. Uh, men, we may not be the brightest at all time, but, but we understand suggestive hints from our wives and moms. Amen. She, she looks at Jesus and says, we have no wine. And his instant response is, woman, what has that got to do with me? He said, it is not my time. Right now, it's not my time. I don't know when Jesus had planned to launch his ministry. I don't know if they had balloons and they had been spreading it on social media for months on Facebook and Twitter that we're going to launch the ministry here and there and there's going to be, and they had this thing planned, but mama didn't care because sometimes mama just knows best and she did not even address the hesitation of Jesus. She just turned to the servants as soon as he said, what do I got to do with this situation? It is not yet my time. Mary turned 
turns to the servants and she says this phrase that I want you to hear today. She says, whatever he says, do it. And she walked off. She said, whatever he says, do it. In other words, I'm going to put it in his hand because he's without limitation, because he's God made manifest in the flesh. And it doesn't matter what our situation is. If he says, do it, do it. If he says, go down to Walmart and grab more, then you go down to Walmart. If he says, go to the vineyard and grab more, you go to the vineyard. But whatever this man says to do, do it because I've got confidence and faith that he is who he says he is. To a lesser man, it would have been a disaster. To an imposter, it would have been a failure, but not to Jesus, not to God manifest in the flesh. He looked at the servants and he said, get the water pots. The water pots are out of wine. No, get the water pots and fill them up with water. And the servants are scratching their head and they remembered what mama said. Do whatever he says. Then when they filled up the water pots with water, Jesus said, now go serve it to everybody here at the wedding and as soon as their faith and their obedience amen because faith has to have obedience they obediently begin to pour the water from the water pots and somewhere between the spout and the cup somewhere between the ladle and the glass instantly it transformed from being water into wine no other man could have done that nobody else had the power to do that but because we serve a God who is without restriction and without limitation if you're willing to listen if you have faith and if you will obey hallelujah there's a relevant miracle for you this morning for the matter at hand in your life all you got to do is obey may I say to you this morning I don't mean to seem harsh but would you quit giving God suggestions on how he should fix your life? Now, I know it's Easter, and don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. But stop telling God how to fix your life. Stop giving God tips on how to be God. He's been God a lot longer than you've been you. And just because we're panicked doesn't mean God's panicked. God, God don't need my suggestion on how to be God. There has never been a God like him. There's no other God beside him. And if you'll just have faith in him, and then obey him no matter how ridiculous it may seem. You'll find out if you search the scripture or you ask around just a little bit on the credentials and the credit of our God. Amen. If you'll just obey them things that may seem to be crazy, God will come through in every situation. Amen. Because sometimes it's the madness that brings the miraculous. Sometimes it's that radical obedience to those things that don't make sense to our mind. But if you are willing, I'm preaching to somebody this morning, there is a relevant miracle for your life. There is a relevant breakthrough for your life. Because when that God made manifest in the flesh, the same God who spoke the worlds into existence, the God that had formed man with his own hands and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, Moved the water at the very touch of his presence. And that water was made wine. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying to you this morning. 
you have been you have been feeling the impending doom of being without. You've been feeling like everything is about to break loose in your life. The dam that's withholding judgment or all of the uh, consequences of your bad decisions, you can see that dam as it's beginning to break and there's a flood of consequences that is about to come your way. But I've come to tell you, if you will just fill the water pots with water, somewhere between the well and the ladle, there's a miracle that's waiting for you in this house this morning. If you feel like you have nothing left to offer, nothing of value, nothing that you could give to the king of glory, but I want you to know that God is not looking for anything what God wants is your nothingness because with a life of nothing he can turn it around and make the absolute best out of nothing you'll find that he will give you the best from the start and it only gets better with time as we used to sing it gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by amen it, you don't get the best at first and it's all downhill. No, no. You get the best and it just keeps getting better. Disease and sickness were no match for Jesus. There was a man at a pool one day and he had been in his condition for over 30 years. And every so often an angel would come and trouble the water. When the water was troubled, whoever got in, the, whoever touched the water first, whoever got in the water, was healed of their disease. And they laid there at the pool of Bethsaida. And they waited for the water to be troubled. Jesus comes walking by this pool because Jesus was always where there was a need. He didn't live at the country club. He didn't have his face buried in a phone on social media. Where there were needs, he was there. Amen. You got a need this morning because he's here. God's attracted to needs because God loves to move and work when nothing else will. He sees a man that had been laying there 30 years in his condition, waiting for the angel's wings to cause the water to ripple and stir, waiting and staring for 30 years. Can you imagine 30 years laying there on his mat? We, you know, the Bible says a bed. It wasn't four posts and a mattress and, you know, select comfort or any of that stuff. It was, just, it was just a piece of cloth laid on the ground. For 30 years, he laid there an invalid, crippled, couldn't move for 30 years. And Jesus walks up to him, and he, he doesn't say, how long have you been sick? He doesn't say, what is the disease? Jesus has one question for him. Will you be made whole? In other words, do you want to be healed? Are, are you tired of laying here? And the man's response was, sir, I would be healed. I, I would be healed, but when the waters are troubled and the waters begin to stir, I have no man to let me down in the water. Every time I try with everything I have, and I can see this man, amen, every time the waters would trouble and people would cry out, Hosanna, glory to God, hallelujah, he would try with everything to roll down. There were...
porches that were around the, the water. I can see him as he would try to rock his crippled body and try to roll down into the water, but he couldn't get there because every time that the water would move, somebody else would jump in and be healed. And this man's faith, although he still had faith that God would heal him, could I say it like this? He had faith in God's healing power, but he had lost faith in the routine and the obstacles around him. He had lost faith in his ability to get to God. He had lost faith in his ability to be healed. I'm preaching to somebody this morning on Resurrection Sunday. You still believe God can turn your marriage around. You still believe God can turn your life around. You still believe God can save your kids. You still believe God will work it out for you. But what you have a hard time with is you've given up on the process between getting from where you are to where he is. But God has stepped in this house this morning and said I'll meet you where you are if you've come this far I'll come to where you are hallelujah the lame man said I've been this way for years and nothing else has changed I have a desire I just don't have any help I've got to preach to somebody this morning your failures do not intimidate God it doesn't matter that 30 years you've not been able to get in the water it doesn't matter that for 30 years you've never gotten wet but I'm telling you your failures do not intimidate a God that is able to do anything there is a relevant resurrection for you today. He said, I would, and Jesus didn't even respond to that. He didn't say, well, man, I feel sorry for you. I'm, I'm so sorry that's happening. Jesus didn't get frustrated, and he, he didn't... He didn't even stoop to that man's doubt and address the man's doubt. He didn't look around. And, you know, there were probably some folks in there, you know, that weren't really that sick. Now, you're not like you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you go to the hospital and you go to the ER and you've got a kidney stone and some dude's over there sniffling with a little bit of cold and you're thinking, i got to wait behind that sucker right there and he's just wiping his snotty nose every 30 minutes. No, you get me back there before, and you got somebody over, some hypochondriac over there looking for somewhere to hurt so they... Hey, humans don't change. They were the same way 2,000 years ago. Hey, man, you, you, you had Harry the hypochondriac sitting over there. And I think it hurts here and here and here and here and here and here and here. And because he's better, he would hit the water. Amen. And this other guy who, you know, he had a broke finger. He'd hit the water first. And, and, and this guy had a headache. He'd hit the water first. And, and, and Jesus didn't look at the man and address the fact of, that the man had felt victimized by the system for 30 he didn't look at the man and say, yeah, I feel sorry if you look at all these sap suckers in here keeping you from being healed. Jesus didn't say any of that to him. Jesus just looked at him and said, well, take up the bed and walk. Excuse me? Take up your bed and walk. Here's a man whose fingers couldn't even outstretch. Here's a man whose didn't fully function. Here's a man emaciated because he didn't have enough nutrition and he didn't even have the ability to walk. But as soon as he was willing to obey, there was a relevant miracle. That miracle wasn't for anybody 
else. That miracle didn't touch anybody else. That miracle didn't slap anybody else in the head. But that miracle hit that man that day. And he reached out those crippled fingers. He grabbed the edge of his bed. And he began to roll it up. And as his hands began to work, his arms began to work. As his arms began to work, his back muscles and his abdomen began to work. He set up. As he set up, his legs began to work. He got on his knees and he rolled it up. And then he stood up for the first time in 30. I'm telling you, nobody else may get their miracle this morning, but you ought to make up your mind. I'm getting mine. It's a relevant resurrection for me. Come on, go ahead and give me praise if you feel that way. Hey, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't got to wait for the altar call. You don't got to wait for pretty music to start playing. You don't got to wait for me to say, may you all stand and come forward. But the moment you're ready for God to intervene in that situation, the moment you're like the man at the pool of Bethsaida that says, I've been waiting long enough. If he's in this house, I need him right now. You don't got to wait for anything. Demonic activity was no challenge to Jesus. His boat lands upon the stony shores of the Gadarenes. There was a demon-possessed man there running among the tombs without any clothes. And his shame, his shame did not intimidate Jesus. No man could help him. His mind was ravaged by every kind of unclean demonic spirit. They called him Legion because he had so many demons within him, thousands of demons. They couldn't settle upon one. They tried to bind him with chains, but the demonic power in him would break loose the chains. They tried everything they could to calm him down, but he lived among the tombs in open shame, cutting himself and howling like a wild animal at but the moment those beautiful sandaled feet hit the shores of the Gadarenes, all of a sudden that man ran. He ran to meet Jesus with six to 10,000 devils on the inside of his sin-filled life. And he runs and he falls at the feet of Jesus and he begins to worship him. His torn and emaciated flesh, his pride infected wounds from cutting himself and living among the decaying dead decomposing bodies in the graveyard desperate to have an encounter with God because chains couldn't fix it and doctors couldn't fix it and witchcraft couldn't fix it and prayers from everybody else couldn't fix it but when he saw Jesus afar off he ran at his feet he fell down and began to worship him while everybody else ridiculed him for not having clothes and everybody else made fun of him for howling like a dog. Jesus stood there and he didn't stop the man. He let the man worship. Every time I preach of this story, I feel compelled to say this. The man had six to 10,000 demons living on the inside of him. And when the man wanted to worship, the one thing the demons couldn't keep him from was worshiping Jesus. Now this isn't to our guests, but this is to church folks. I need to remind us sometimes. Amen. What keeps you from worshiping God? Because it ain't the devil. 
Because if 10,000 devils can't keep one man from worshiping God, there ain't a devil in hell that can keep you from worshiping God. Only my attitude, my doubt, my fear, my worry, my stress, my anxiety, my depression, my insecurity, that can but not a devil. Hey, I feel like somebody this morning ought to say, there's not a devil in hell that can keep me from worshiping because my miracles in this house, there's a relevant resurrection, there's a relevant miracle. A normal man would have run, but this was the God of the universe in flesh. This was the one who reigns upon the throne of glory. This is the God that angels worship day and night as they cried, holy, holy, holy. This is the same God that beheld Satan fall as lightning because when God got sick of Lucifer's lip, he just backhanded him. At least that's kind of how I think it happened. He just backhanded Lucifer and he fell like a bolt of lightning from heaven. This is the God that banished Satan into the eternal realm of the dark. And as soon as he saw a man that didn't want to be bound and tormented anymore by demon spirits. They cried out to Jesus, the demons, and said, have you come to destroy us before our time? Listen, even the devil knows he's got an expiration date. Even hell knows he can't torment you forever. Even Satan knows he can't work on you forever, that he has but a short time. And the demons cried out and said, let us go into the pigs. Don't kill us before our time. Don't destroy us before our time. And Jesus cast those demons out of that man and he was delivered. He was clothed and in his right mind because he needed a relevant miracle. I'm almost done, but there was another situation that would, have, that would have caused even those of the greatest faith to buckle. When a man named Jairus came to Jesus and his daughter was dying, and before Jesus could get to her, she did die. And he walks in. There are unbelievers everywhere. Jesus walks in and says, She's not dead. She sleeps. And the doctors and the mourners and even the family began to laugh. The Bible said, laugh him to scorn. They made fun of him. They called him an idiot and stupid, and he didn't know what he was talking about. And who let this moron in here? I'm a doctor. I've already checked her. There's no pulse. There's no breath. She's been dead for quite some time now. And the Bible said Jesus had all he could handle, and he put them out of the room. I want to tell you something. Your situation is not too hard for God. He is the Lord over every situation, and he is the Lord over every circumstance. And even when they tell you, it's over. Even when the people that are professional say it can't be done. Even when the wisest among you says it's impossible. When God gets ready to move he will not be confined to their opinion. He will not be relegated to their understanding. He will not withhold himself because of their scorn. But the moment you're ready and the moment God is ready, God's going to intervene in that situation. I'm 
preaching to somebody this morning. Take the limits off God. Take your limitations off him. If you will obey him this morning, there is something he will do in your life. And he raised that little girl up and he turned a funeral into a celebration. You see, God's promises always come true. Not most of the time, but all the time. Hey Amen, I'm not even going to debate this with you. Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player to ever live. And there's no debate. If you don't believe that, and you think it's somebody else, I, I, I'm sorry. Michael Jordan was just the greatest, all right? And at his best, he shot, I think, 52%. That means out of 100 times, he only made it 52% of the time. And he was the greatest to ever play the game. Let me ask you something. If you went to the best doctor in town to give you a life-saving surgery, and they said 52% of the time, 52% of the time my patients live, you're not going to take them odds. I wouldn't. I'd be like, no, you just keep practicing a little bit longer. You know, because doctors are only licensed to practice medicine. They're, they're practicing physicians. That means they haven't perfected it yet. If you went to a doctor and you had to have open heart surgery and it was crucial for you to live, and they said, look, 76% of my patients will live. Well, that's better than 52, but... I, I, that's, you know, I, I still don't like them odds. I'm going to be honest with you. If they came to me and said 99% of I See, you don't serve a 99% God. You serve a God who bats a 1,000. Every time he steps to the plate, he puts it over the fence. Every time he lines up at the free throw, he puts it in the basket. Every time he touches the ball, he gets a touchdown. Everything he does is exciting. You know, everything he does is perfect. Everything he does is right. For the Bible says that the promises of God are yea and amen. He always does what he said he would do. He told his disciples about his impending death and resurrection. He informed them that he would be away for a little while, but that he would come back. And they failed to understand him. They forgot his teachings. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said he would go away, they grabbed a hold of him. They physically grabbed him and pulled on him, and they wept, and they cried. And they said, don't go away. Don't leave us. Had they understood what Jesus was saying, I, I used to preach a message called Go Away Jesus. That's what they would have said, Go Away Jesus. If they really understood what was about to happen, they would have said, all right, well, go on, get out of here. But they couldn't understand. They didn't really comprehend what he was saying. He was crucified. It was a gruesome scene. I don't want to have to rehearse all of that for time's sake this morning. Amen. But it was a gruesome scene. Flesh hung around off his body like ribbons. The blood poured out of him. Thoughts of escape and denial had been had by every disciple. They wandered away until only his mother and a brother remained at the foot of the cross. He hung there, crown of thorns upon his head. His body 
body shivering and quivering as he was dehydrating and the blood loss was so tremendous in his body that his organs began to shut down. They beat him like no man had ever been beaten before. And then he heaved upon those precious hands one last time. As you can hear the blood and the fluid gurgle in his as he cried out one last time it is finished and the Bible said that he gave up the ghost they walked away in grief amen they walked away in sorrow seeing that the king of glory and the Messiah had laid down his life remember Jesus said no man takes my life I give it they were hurting they were in pain They didn't know what to do. Matthew 27 and 62 through 66 says, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver, speaking of Jesus, while he was yet alive, said, After three days I will rise again. You see, the devil was nervous from the moment Jesus stopped breathing. Matter of fact, I, I love Carmen. He did that song Sunday's on its way and talking about, you know, hell was having a party. And I, I think it's a great song. And I said, but it's not, it's not theologically accurate. How are they having a party when Jesus was down there for three days smacking them around? Right? Because anybody with a third grade education will tell you if you're God, you can't die. I, I want to make it very clear. God did not die at the crucifixion. Because if God could die, he ain't God. The manifestation of the body of Christ died. But God in him did not die. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he descended into hell for three days. And three nights in the belly of the earth. Amen. And while that was happening, on the next day, the day after he died, the priest, the religious folks said, we remember that that deceiver said he would be dead three days and then he would rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure or secured until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last error should be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, ye have watched, go your way make sure uh, as make it as sure as you can and they went and made the sepulcher sure sealing the stone and setting watch in other words the religious people said I can remember when Jesus said that if you tear this temple down I'll raise it up in three days as Jonah was in the belly of the well amen so will I be in the belly of the earth but I'm coming up out of that grave and so the religious folks decided they would hire their personal security they would hire soldiers to stand at the outside of the tomb so nobody could come steal the body of Jesus and take it away and claim that there had been a resurrection. They thought they had covered their bases. They thought they had dotted their I's and crossed their T's. They thought they had put God in a corner. They thought they had positioned it for no way out. But God will never be put in a corner and God will never be put in a tomb. Upon his death, Nicodemus came to Jesus' tomb and he and Joseph of Arimathea, they 
took the body of Christ and they wrapped it with linen. The Bible said they went down and got 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe. That, 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 that amount of myrrh and aloe would have been extreme even for a wealthy person because the usual custom was only 20 pounds. They did 100. Isn't that just like sending a man to the store for milk? All they needed was get 20 pounds. They come back with 100. My wife don't send me to the grocery store. She said, go to the grocery store and pick up some bread and milk. And I come back, I'm like, call, I'm texting from the driveway. Y'all come out and give me a hand. I didn't go to Walmart. I, I stopped off at Winco and Sam's Club and Costco, and I'm pulling back up, and we're loading. We don't even have a deep freeze. I mean, we got counters full of grocery, and that's what Joseph of Arimathea, amen, that's what Nicodemus did. They came in that night, amen, they came in that day, and they had all the aloes, and they had the, they had the frankincense and the myrrh even to wrap the body of Christ, amen, because they, they, wanted, they wanted to go above and beyond. They were wounded in their faith, amen, and, and they realized that what they were doing, what they were doing this for the precious body of Jesus Christ, the one that they loved. In Jesus' day, amen, uh, what they would do is they would wrap the body tight and they would put, they would put aloe and myrrh uh, over the body, amen, and they compressed it in, into to some type of a tie and they wound the body tight. In Jesus' day, there was no such machine, amen, they would have to carry this sack of sorts, uh, amen, in, into the tomb, and they would have to dress the body. Imagine the scene of Joseph of Arimathea carrying the roughly 175 pound body of Jesus, and Nicodemus carrying a sack with 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes for the burial. Putting myself into this context, uh, amen. I find two men who love Jesus, uh, two men that were willing to risk their own lives, uh, two men that were saying, There's no price that I I'm not willing to pay, amen, to be at the side of Jesus. Can I tell you, sometimes you need to make up in your own mind. It doesn't matter who goes to the tomb. It doesn't matter who walks with him or not. I'm gonna walk with Jesus. Come what may, I'm gonna be by his side. Amen. They wanted to see their Lord one more time. I'm almost done. They wanted to see their Lord and Master one more time. They wanted to wrap that precious broken body one more time. So Joseph donates his very exclusive tomb and Nicodemus not wanting anyone to smell the decomposing body of Jesus brings a hundred pounds of costly burial aloe when people walked by the tomb he wanted them to not only notice the beautiful smell of myrrh and frankincense he didn't want them to smell anything else because they loved him so much I'm not sure what they got amen if they got what they were bargaining for amen they were so broken and so so broken hearted their faith was shattered they never thought that it would come to this amen but Jesus those words echoed out throughout the universe verse. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Either they forgot it or they chose not to believe it. But it was on the first day of the week after the body of Jesus had been in that grave for three days and three nights just like Jonah in the belly of the well. It was on that first Easter Sunday morning. Amen. It was on that first morning when the sun began to lift above the horizon. When 
the light began to shatter the darkness, when the shadows grew from long to short, when the color of the sky began to shake, that all of a sudden there was an earthquake and there was a shaking that began to happen. It was so powerful the, the guards were knocked out of sleep. An angel comes in and rolls the stone away. The Bible says in Matthew 28 and 1 through 8, now after the Sabbath, it was the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb, to, came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I love that. I love that. Nothing says boss like sitting on something. Right? When a young guy really loves his truck, he'll sit on it. That's mine. The angel rode the stone away and he propped up on it. He sat there and said, yeah, I did that. His countenance was like, white, was like lightning and his clothing white as snow but the, and the guards shook for fear of them. They became like dead men and the angel answered and said unto the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord laid and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before into Galilee. Amen. In other words, the angel said, I want you to realize uh, when you walk in this tomb where there was a hundred pounds of aloe and there was a hundred pounds of myrrh and there was a, the wrapping of linen over the body of Christ, uh, I want you to see that it's empty. And they walked in and they saw an empty grave. Uh, and the Bible said in verse eight, they went quickly from the tomb uh, with fear and great joy and began to spread the word to the disciples. Uh, I've come to tell somebody this morning you need to look at that situation in your life that needs a miracle and realize there is a relevant resurrection for you today. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to realize this morning that the best that hell could do was put a stone over a borrowed tomb. I'm telling you, you're living in borrowed trouble. You're living in borrowed stress. You're living in borrowed sickness. But there's a relevant resurrection that's coming to roll the stone away. There's a miracle for you today. Come on, go ahead and give the Lord praise this morning. Come on, give me praise this morning. I feel there's a, somebody's gonna have a miracle before they leave here today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You need to hear me this morning. You may have walked in here with sickness, but it's a borrowed sickness. You may have walked in here with trouble, but it's borrowed trouble. You need to this morning make up your mind that God didn't bring me this far to leave me. And God didn't save me for me to be miserable. And God didn't save me for me to live in a tomb. But God saved me that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly. I'm talking about a relevant resurrection. Somebody shout a relevant resurrection. See, the best the devil can do is distract you. He really can't stop you. Because the moment you're willing to come out, he's willing to make a way out. Somebody needs to wake up and realize this morning that Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your resurrection. 
And that first resurrection morning is repeated every time a person comes to this altar and allows the Holy Ghost to give them life. Each sinner who repents, each sinner who is filled with the glorious gift of the Holy Ghost, every time they are reliving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says it was the same power that raised up Jesus that will dwell in your mortal body. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. We celebrate the resurrection once a year and it's a holy day for us. We celebrate the resurrection once out of every 365 days, but heaven doesn't. Heaven celebrates it every time a sinner repents. Because repentance, the Bible says, is likened unto the death of Christ on the cross. We're about to have water baptism. If you've never been baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus, when you're baptized, the Bible said it is the same burial. You are being buried with Christ. Amen. And the gift of the Holy Ghost in your life, the Bible says it's the same resurrecting power that brought Jesus out of the grave. Amen. And every time somebody obeys the gospel, the resurrection is celebrated. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. We get excited over Easter, but the angels get excited over every single sinner that repents. And 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That's what Jesus was talking about, a relevant resurrection. Because today, resurrection power can become relevant in your life. I said it can become relevant in your life today. It can have significance and demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand. It can give the evidence to prove or disprove the matter or issue under discussion. Would you stand with me this morning? Is there an issue in your life? Is there a matter at hand in your life? Is there a sickness in your body? Is there something plaguing your mind, something going on in your family? Is there something in your life today that you cannot fix? Because if, if there is, it doesn't mean you're weak. It just means he's able. And I believe everybody in this place this morning can leave here experiencing a relevant resurrection. You can be healed in this place today. If you need forgiveness of sin, you can get forgiveness of sin today. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost before, as they did in the book of Acts, speaking in unknown tongues as the Spirit gives it, you can receive that today. That's resurrection power. You can bury the old man in the waters of baptism. We have the baptismal tank ready to go. We got clothes to change into, towels to dry off with. You can experience that today. Are you living in a tomb of fear? Now, I know it's Easter and we put on our best clothes and, and we put on our best face like everything's okay and this is a good little sermon, but he's not talking to me, but I, I need you to get real for a moment. Are, are you living in a tomb of fear of tomorrow? Has hell got you so stressed about next week and about things you can't control that you feel entombed 
by your fears and your doubt and your worry and your stress because if so I wouldn't leave here in that tomb today I'd come to this altar today and experience the relevant resurrection of Jesus Christ that'll fix the matter at hand if you're willing to believe and obey would you lift your hands all over this building oh I feel the touch of almighty God in this place hallelujah Come on, as your hands are lifted, I want you to lift every voice. Whether you've been here for years or this is your first time, I want you to lift your hands, lift your voice. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, First Church. Come on, lift that voice. We're creating an atmosphere right now. The atmosphere of resurrection powers in this place right now. Hallelujah. Come on, lift that voice to glory right now. I feel their strength. Come on, there's resurrection power on this Easter Sunday. God's wanting to turn that situation around. God's wanting you to come up out of that grave of fear. Come up out of that grave of restriction and depression. Come on, there's a breakthrough for you. There's a resurrection for your life today. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.